think just kind of it was a relatively low stress outing. Um, we had a few pitches to play with. We wanted to keep it around 75. Um, so to get up in the six was important. And, you know, after the homer, we weren't going to say, all right, you're done. So, um, you know, keep rolling after that. But I think it was just good for the six ups. Um, I think it was just kind of pitch selection and then staying out of kind of damage areas, you know. Um, that's where the fastball command, I think, is going to be key for him. But we've kind of, yeah, we, we broke it down pretty in-depth with him in the offseason. He's on board with it. Um, so, yeah, excited for him to kind of have a, a very regular year. All right, it is one week until the opening day. One week until it gets real for the Toronto Blue Jays. And, uh, hey, Lance, can you play the the start of that clip again? Just the very start of John Schneider talking about Jose Barrios. I think just kind of it was a relatively low-stress outing. Relatively low-stress outing for Jose Barrios yesterday against the Baltimore Orioles. Relatively low-stress outing. We had Pete Walker on last week. And one of the comments Pete Walker made about Jose Barrios was he was looking for a solid year. Didn't say he was looking for a great year. Didn't say he was looking for a Cy Young year. I mean, clearly they'll take what Jose Barrios is going to get them. But yesterday, after that, shall we say, less than satisfactory outing at the World Baseball Classic, um, and 10 days, by the way, between starts, because of his taking part in the World Baseball stack, uh, Classic, Jose Brio stepped back on the mound yesterday against the Baltimore Orioles. Velocity was down a tick, 92.8. Uh, five innings pitched, gave up a hit, 77 pitches, 47 strikes, left the game after giving up a home run to Taron Vavra, and then a single to Kyle Stowers. And essentially... I think the reason the Jays and by extension the rest of us were so happy and should be so happy with what we saw yesterday was against a lineup that had seven left-handed hitters. Yes, it was not the strongest lineup the Orioles are going to run out there, but against a lineup that had seven left-handed hitters, uh, Jose Barrios essentially ticked all the boxes, uh, especially command to the glove side with his fastball. The fastball command, we've talked about this and talked about this and talked about this with Jose Barrios. Fastball command is going to be, it's key for anybody, but for Jose Barrios, fastball command will ultimately be the thing that determines how successful he is this year. And by extension, how successful the Toronto Blue Jays will be. I cannot put it any, 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 any simpler. We know what we're going to get from Kevin Gossman. We have an idea what we're going to get from Alec Manoa. Chris Bassett, Kind of, sort of. But after what we saw from Jose Barrios last year, such a, just such a, a flip side of what you would normally get from Jose Barrios, I think it's safe to say that there's uh, some question marks around him going into this year, and that's vital because this is a guy, folks, he's got to give the Jays 175 to 200 innings this year. I and mean, he just does. Um, the Jays will be in Fort Myers today to take on the Minnesota Twins. That game will be available via streaming. It'll also be on TV. Espinal Jansen, really the only everyday players 
making the trip. You say Kikuchi will make the start. He's got a lock on the fifth starter spot, but you say Kikuchi will make the start today uh, for the Blue Jays. And as we said, we are getting perilously close to opening day, which is a week from today in St. Louis against the Cardinals. Tomorrow, Major League Baseball has has told teams that they must announce their opening day starters tomorrow, which is, I've never been able to figure out. There there are six teams that have already announced their opening day starter. I mean, God, the Angels announced Shohei Otani in February as their opening day starter. But Major League Baseball has decided this year that they want all teams to announce their opening day starters uh, on, uh, on, the, on the 23rd, on tomorrow. So, I'm sorry, on the 24th, on tomorrow. So, if you look at the Jays pitching rotation right now, given the way it sets up with Manoa and Gossman, it looks as if Alec Manoa would be getting the start on opening day. But there clearly is an option there to start Kevin Gossman on opening day and give everybody uh, a, a little extra rest. So we'll see where that goes. Dan Schulman will join us later today. Maybe he can give us some insight on that. Um, I know my friend Kevin Parker, who will be back tomorrow in studio with us, is said he thinks Kevin Gossman should get the start. I said, I, re- I really don't care. I don't think, I don't think the op- being the opening day starter is that big a deal 99% of the time, and, and I think that's the case this year as well with the Toronto Blue Jays. It's, I mean, after how that season ended last year, I, whoever the opening day starter is, um, it's not that big a deal to me. I've always thought it's, the home opener is the guy you talk about because when you look at everything that goes into the opening opening day for a team, uh, the atmosphere, the emotion, all of that stuff, uh, it's that starter that really comes out and tries to set the tone for things. And, of course, because of the work being done on the Rogers Center, the Jays won't be home for a couple of weeks. Um, so there you go. 2-1, the Jays beat the Orioles yesterday. Bo Bichette had another home run. And uh, Yusei Kikuchi takes the mound today against the Minnesota Twins. We'll be joined in a few minutes by Rock Kobatko. He will join us to talk about the Baltimore Orioles and uh, what expectations are for the Orioles this year. They were a surprise team last year. They were the surprise team last year. And expectations are understandably higher for the Orioles this year, both in Baltimore and around the majors. The Orioles did not have the type of offseason that I think a lot of their fans wanted. There's still some question marks lingering over the ownership of the team, uh, over the uh, long-term future of the Angelos family as owners of that ballpark. Uh, so understandably, when you have an offseason where you don't make a lot of moves and there's only some questions, people begin to wonder just what is real and what isn't real. But... Uh, Needless to say, the Orioles, I think, for most of us, I don't know if the Orioles can do what they did last year again, but I'm not going to count them out. And we know one thing now about this Orioles front office. We know they they proved last year they have an ability not just to draft and develop young players. They are the top farm system in baseball. But they also have an ability to unearth hidden gems in the free agent market. They essentially cobbled together a bullpen last year full of dudes that threw 100, full of dudes with velocity, lots of movement, and, you know, basically plucked guys off the waiver wire, found guys under rocks, found them, you know, 
behind the cushions and offices, all these things. They put together a very good bullpen. So not only do they have a great minor league system, they appear to have a very resourceful front office, at least in terms, at least in terms of uh, intellectual capacity. Rock Kobatko covers the Orioles for Masson, and he joins us on Blair and Barker without Barker. We'll still call it Blair and Barker, though, even though Barker will be back tomorrow. Rock, thanks so much for joining us. I trust, I trust spring training has been going well. Um, what, uh, as we move into the last week, the last six days, the last seven days of spring training, what does Brandon Hyde or what do Brandon Hyde and Mike Elias still need to see? Are, are, there, any, are there any jobs open there? Are there any, any points of emphasis moving forward? Yeah, this was one of the more set teams that we've seen in a while where you could basically say, well, this is the starting nine, and we pretty much figured out the rotation early on. They actually had too many starters, and I haven't been able to say that in a while. So really it came down to, like, final bench spot, whether there's a non-roster backup first base, the left-handed hitter type that they were collecting all off season that might be able to crash the party. I don't think that happens. It could. I don't think so. I don't think there's a non-roster player that makes it unless they pick up somebody late. But also, we don't know exactly still what's going to happen with the bullpen that you were just talking about because you have some guys who didn't make it as starters who could drop back in long relief. We don't know if they're doing with Tyler Wells, for example. He was maybe their best starter in the first half last year before he got hurt after they converted him from Rule 5 reliever. And now he may be the sixth guy in a five-man rotation, so mm-hmm. what do you do with him? And we just found out yesterday Michael Givens has a sore left knee, hasn't pitched in a week. Uh, will he be ready for opening day? So, And there are some battles. You know, Rule 5 kid, Andrew Politti, who's been really, really good. They got up from the Red Sox. Can they take him north? So there are a few spots like that that we're still wondering about. But otherwise, they seem fairly set now. What's the, uh, what are expectations like for the Orioles, both within the front office, within the clubhouse, and also in the city and among, among the fan base? Uh, every time I talk to anybody and I see so many people at these games, when you're going back and forth, as you know, from the press box to get the in, you know, in-game interviews, fans are like, this is the most excited I've been in years. And they really are. And the whole clubhouse are talking playoffs. Playoffs. Like they're really talking about that because they contended into September last year, really till the final week. And now they're going to have a full season of Adley Rutschman and a full season of Gunnar Henderson and Kyle Stowers and Grayson Rodriguez is expected to be in the rotation as the number five guy. And you can have a full season of him. Plus all these young players, you were talking about the form system that are going to be debuting later. Outfielder Colton Kowser, and they've got infielders, you know, Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby, Heston Kerstad, you know, second overall pick in 2020 that had myocarditis and had his career stalled to begin it. He has been outstanding in camp. He just got optioned out yesterday or reassigned, but he'll probably be in double A, but he'll be beaten on the door. So everybody's really excited about that. But then the flip side is always going to be, A, what division they're in. And you know what the Rupp against. Every time mm-hmm. we talk, it's always out of the AL East. But also they didn't go out and spend in the offseason where I think a lot of people were anticipating – when Michael Elias said liftoff, they thought that also meant payroll. And he did mention it would increase, and it has. They had like six or seven arbitration guys, so that alone raised payroll. But they did not go out and spend to get a number one starter or a big bat for the middle of the order. So will that end up hurting them? They're counting more on what I was talking about with the guys who are back and getting full seasons from these guys. 
plus, you know, the de- further development of the Ryan Mountcastles, Austin Hayes, you know, guys like that. Is that going to be enough or not? If they fall short this year and there's no one in this front office that seems to think they will, but if they do, then they leave themselves open for that criticism of why didn't you go out and get that one big piece that you needed. Maybe it's a trade deadline they do that if they're contending, but that's going to be what people are going to point to if they don't make it. You know, when I, when I look at this team and I, I look at the depth of the minor league system, and, and the top-end depth. I mean, I'm not talking about the guys that are the 20th to 30th ranked prospects in the organization. I'm talking about the top-end depth. I look at this team, Rock, and I think to myself, this is a team that is in – I understand Orioles fans wanted more moves in the offseason than Adam Fraser. I, I get all that. But if they are – if they have another year where they hit the trade deadline and they're in contention, they do have enough minor league depth that you could cobble together a pretty good deal – you know, without touching the, the 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 Gunner Hendersons or the Jackson Holidays or the DL Halls or or, or Grayson Rodriguez, is you've still got enough depth that you could put something together. So I mean, I'll I'll just ask you: Is Gunner Henderson the next? Is he the impact guy this year? Is he going to come up and do for them what Adley Rushman did? And I'll throw another name out uh, to you because I know that a lot of the Jays people really have liked this kid for a couple of years. Uh, D.L. Hall, who I understand just, I think he just made his spring debut uh, a couple of days ago against the Phillies. So can you tell us maybe a bit about about those two, about Gunnar Henderson and D.L. Hall? Yeah, Gunnar Henderson, for sure, they think will be a big impact guy. And he showed flashes of that even when he came up late last season, uh, but probably starting out at third base. Now, you know, they've got so many shortstops and you do that on purpose. You draft shortstops, they're athletic, you can move them around. So he's probably third base now if they still uh, Jorge Mateo at short, who won a Fielding Bible Award last year. Didn't we get a gold glove? Wasn't a finalist, which was really odd. But, you know, he's a plus-plus defender, plus speed. If he doesn't hit, then you can always switch uh, Henderson over. But he looks like he would be an impact third baseman right now. And it reminds you a lot of what they did with Manny Machado early on. Hmm. He was a shortstop who became an elite defensive third baseman and they absolutely think Henderson's going to hit and you know he's so young still and you look at the power and the speed and just all the tools so they think he will be the big impact guy and again you get a full season of him you know you go from Adley Rushman being the top prospect in baseball then it was Gunnar Henderson and everybody's anticipating it's going to be Jackson Holiday when the next rankings come out next year so that that tells you a lot about how they've been drafting and D.L. Hall we don't know what's going to happen with him by opening day because they want to develop him as a starter. And when he arrived in camp, he was being slow plates. He'd had some lower back discomfort and he was fine once he got to camp and they were being really careful and they're, they're, he's not going to be able to build up innings now to be a starter. And then the question becomes, well, can you put him in the bullpen? Because he really excelled at final month of the season last year, but they've got the thing where, you know, for the most part, they don't like taking a young starter mm-hmm. And slowing his development by putting him in the bullpen. And a lot of teams do that, but they don't want to do that to fill an immediate need in 2023 and maybe hurt the development process. And yet he could be a real weapon for them. They're going to need a strong bullpen again because you don't have a lot of proven starters. But then the question becomes, is he even going to be built up enough to do that? He's only made, you know, he made his first appearance the other day and he's going to pitch again Saturday and they're breaking camp soon. So, you know, they could try to build his innings out of the bullpen or they could just send the AAA and then bring him back up later. But they absolutely love the arm. It's just, you know, working on the command. He isn't as polished as Grayson Rodriguez. But they think that's a special arm and it just comes down to when, how fast can he be built up 
And what exactly are you going to do with him? Is he rotation or do you go ahead and say, look, he could be a one or two inning weapon for us in the later innings and, you know, strengthen that bridge to get to the closer, Felix Bautista, and especially if you don't have Michael Gibbons to start the year, if he is on the injured list, we don't know yet. And you don't have Dylan Tate. He's going on the injured list for sure. You could, you know, there's a couple spots there that open up. Uh, what are expectations this year? You know, a full year, a, a no more, no more of the rookie pressures, but a full year for Adley Rushman. Just how good can he be? Do you think? I mean, I'm hoping they're realistic because honestly, the expectations are off the charts, but they have been. He was like, you know, come see the baby Jesus in Double A, like they used yeah. to say about Matt Weeders. I mean, he's right. been like the young savior since they drafted him. That's a tremendous amount of pressure, but. Again, I mean, it's like all the tools are there, and it was such a hot debate about do you take Bobby Witt Jr., do you take Adley Rutschman? And there were people in the organization that were pro-Witt. I talked to one scout that said he's never seen a talent like that in all the years he was scouting. But obviously there was the other camp, including Michael Ice, that said we can't pass on this generational catcher, and they certainly have enough shortstop prospects now that you know they, they addressed some, an area they really needed to, and he was such a special talent. They think, yes, he could be – I mean, basically, he's been slotted second in the order. Eventually, maybe he moves down, but he's got a knack for getting on base. And just a difference maker behind the plate. Blocking, framing, throwing, and they haven't had that in a long time either. So, I mean, I think he could be very special. They are hoping to, to, again, kind of be careful with his workload or maybe play some first base, which he did in college and he did in, in AAA. Or, you know, DH him some just to keep the bat in the lineup. That's why they love getting James McCann. They don't feel like there's a huge drop-off when he's behind the plate, Robinson uh, Torino's last year ranked dead last. And uh, I think it was in framing. Uh, and, you know, I mean, he's had a nice career, but this was considered an upgrade. The guy that got under control for two years. So McCann can maybe be a little busier for them. And that can get Rutschman from taking too much of a beating behind the plate, but absolutely a, a special talent. I mean, it can't, it can't be overstated, but there's just a lot of pressure on him. They just wanted to keep him healthy and keep him in that lineup the status of ownership right now because you know we, we i mean we followed it in the off season and you know we we kind of followed the the family dispute which i i don't know if it's i don't know if it's been solved it certainly seems to have maybe uh quietened down or, or you know gone more in indoors if you want to call it that but but long term are the angelos are they going to keep are they going to own this team outright or do you think at some point there will be another owner and uh, moving it because i'll tell you what if you're going to buy into a franchise right now Rock, I, I mean that 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 lineup screams cost efficiently for the next uh, cost efficiency for the next five years. If I'm looking to buy a team, even in that division, that's a pretty good team to throw your uh, to throw some money at. I would think so. Yeah, I think the family litigation is done. You know, the suits were dropped, uh, and we talked to John Angelos uh, on one of the backfields one day here. Uh, coming in a prompt to uh, media scrum, and he stressed again that he doesn't anticipate any sort of shift and ownership that he expects to be around for a very long time. And he said that about everybody else too, as far as Michael Elias and Brandon Hyde. And, you know, he's in the process of trying to develop a, uh, you know, complex Camden Yards that's similar to maybe what the Braves have done. They've got this, you know, big vision outside of just the ballpark, plus all the upgrades they want to do there. It just doesn't strike me as somebody who's looking to sell. So every time you hear rumors about, you know, Major League Baseball, are they going to want new ownership? Are they going to do this or that? It's like, you know, you've got to be willing to sell first, and it doesn't sound like, you know, the, the family is going to do that. And in the meantime, then he just, you know, he's put an awful lot of trust in Michael Elias, which in the past GMs had not had 
as much control as Elias has. And right now he's pretty much, you know, done everything that he said he was going to do as far as the analytics department and international scouting, which they weren't doing anything with in the past. And that talent pipeline, the minor league system is now number one. Now the question becomes, what are they willing to spend? Because, you know, we talked about the Astros blueprint when Elias was in that front office. But if you looked at their rotations, they did spend for starting pitching. So, mm-hmm. You know, there was Verlander, there was Cole, and there was Granke. Well, I don't know if the Orioles will ever do that. But at what point are they going to maybe go ahead and start spending a little more, which they've claimed that they will when they get closer to kind of supplement all this young talent. Rock, we're going to let you run. Really appreciate you doing this. Thanks so much. Hey, my pleasure. Take care. That's Rock Kabatko covers the uh, Orioles for Masson, the Orioles broadcaster. And uh, the Jays beating the Orioles 2-1 yesterday. We talked about the Orioles a lot last year, and, and they kind of became... I mean, I was going to say they became likable. I don't know about that. I mean, they're certainly more likable than when Buck Showalter ran, ran the team. A uh, little bit of news here. We don't know who officially who's going to start opening day for the Blue Jays, but we know who is not going to start opening day for the St. Louis Cardinals. The Cardinals have announced that they are putting Adam Wainwright on the IL uh, with, uh, oh, this is going to be really good, with a groin injury uh, sustained during the World Baseball Classic. So there's no more fuel for the fire about players getting hurt and at the World Baseball Classic. Well, let's, be, let's be clear, you can get a groin strain pitching in a great, hell, you can get a groin strain throwing in the bullpen regardless. But uh, the, the Cardinals announcing this morning that uh, Wainwright will go in the IL. He will miss, quote, the next several weeks with the groin strain. Um, his throwing program obviously has been halted. And um, this decision was made after an MRI on the groin Wednesday afternoon. And uh, just looking at the story from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, no indication yet as to who might be the opening day starter for the Cardinals in place of Adam Wainwright. But um, there you go, Adam Wainwright expected to be, not expected, he was already named the Cardinals opening day starter by uh, manager Oliver Marmol uh, a couple of weeks ago. He will open the year on the IL as a result of a groin strain, uh, groin strain, I should say, sustained at the World Baseball Classic. Obviously an impact uh, on the Toronto Blue Jays because they are the first team in uh, to play the St. Louis Cardinals this year. So once we find out more information on who the Cardinals will open with, we will pass it on. But again, that uh, little bit of breaking news, Adam Wainwright going on the IL for the St. Louis Cardinals. Scheduled to be the opening day starter next Thursday when the Toronto Blue Jays take on the St. Louis Cardinals. Who will get the start for the Blue Jays? Well, we know this much. It's either going to be Alec Manoa or Kevin Gossman. Both Mr. Barker and myself have our feelings about that. My guess is our next guest does as well. Dan Shulman, TV voice of the Blue Jays, will join us in a few minutes. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. My guess is Mr. Barker is probably in the air by now. And 
he will be back in studio tomorrow. We are going to go to the back leg line today, though. Anyhow, we'll still call it the back leg line, even though I'll answer the question instead of Kevin. The number is 416-413-3959. Leave a voice note with a question or comment for Mr. Barker. Or if you want to leave a question or comment for myself, that's fine. But uh, once the season gets going, it's going to be your, well, frankly, probably your only way of talking to Kevin. Although we are going to, once we go to two hours on Wednesday, we're going to figure out a way to try to work calls in to the uh, <clears throat> to the show on a little more regular basis. So we can get things like Clifton calling us up and telling us that Drew Hutchinson's going to be key this year i'm sorry clifton i'm just i'm just funning with you you know that um and barker will be in studio tomorrow and then as i mentioned wednesday we go to two hours for the duration of the baseball season and of course thursday is opening day for the blue jays in st louis against the st louis cardinals we just said before the break the cardinals announced today that their uh, opening day starter adam wainwright will not be making that assignment he has gone on or will be going on the il with a groin strain and is expected to be out for quote a couple of weeks at least <clears throat> that as per manager oliver marmol and uh the cardinals the cardinals saying that uh the injury occurred <clears throat> at the world baseball classic blue jays baseball today on tv and streaming 105 first pitch the Jays take on the Minnesota Twins. Espinal Jansen, the regulars making the trip for the Blue Jays. Vinny Capra auditioning for that 26-man spot will also be in the trip. You say Kikuchi gets the start for the Blue Jays, a tune-up start for Kikuchi with, uh, I think it's safe to say that regardless of what Mitch White does right now, you say Kikuchi's probably the fifth starter. So we know... We don't know who's going to start opening day for the Cardinals. We know who isn't going to start opening day for the Cardinals. It won't be Adam Wainwright. The question is, who gets the opening day assignment for the Blue Jays? It's either going to be Alec Manoa or Kevin Gossman. If you look at the way the pitching lines up this weekend, it lines up for Alec Manoa. But there is a way, if the Jays wanted to give Manoa a little extra time, there is a way or a path forward where the Jays start Kevin Gossman instead of Alec Manoa. Uh, keeping in mind that after Thursday's opener, Friday is an off day. So the second start of the season doesn't actually fall until Saturday. This is Major League Baseball does this every year in the event of a rainout. Uh, you you, you want to leave open the possibility of a makeup date. So uh, in places, especially where the stadium isn't covered, there is an off day that follows opening day for teams. Let's bring in Dan Shulman. He is the... TV voice of the Blue Jays. He joins us on Blair. Well, I'm going to say it's Blair Sons Barker, Blair without Barker, <laughs> right now. But I'm the, the big man is here in in, in spirit, anyhow. Mr. Yeah. Shulman, good to talk to you. Um, so, give me your. I was going to say your. We've got a guess. It's either Manoa or Gossman. We'll know tomorrow. Baseball's told teams they must announce their starting pitchers by tomorrow. Their opening day starters by tomorrow. Who do you think it is right now? Is it it lines up like Manoa? Is there any way you see that being played out differently? No, I, I think it's Manoa. And again, like you said, the only reason I think that is that he's been pitching a day or sometimes two, but mostly a day in front of Gosman all spring, right? So and that's the way 
Uh, it'll work this weekend. Manoa, from what I understand, is pitching tomorrow, and then Gosman is pitching Saturday. So you could go Gosman Saturday to Thursday. That lines up with opening day. But then Manoa's going like Friday to Saturday. Mm-hmm. He's on three three extra days of rest. I don't know why they would do that unless they had a specific reason to do that. Um, you know, you can't go wrong, right? Either guy is a great choice to be an opening day starter. But my guess is Manoa one, Gosman two, Bassett three. Um, and then I think with what Barrios did yesterday, he would be four. I think they wanted to see Barrios go out there, pitch reasonably well, uh, you know, with them having their own eyes on him because he'd been away with Puerto Rico, the WBC, and, and get pretty deep into the game. And I think he threw 77 pitches. So my guess is Barrios four and Kikuchi five. Now the million-dollar question, now that you've been down there uh, for, for, for a few days, Danny, what happened to Jose Barrios? Are you any closer to understanding what happened to Jose Barrios last year? <laughs> I've always thought it was kind of a combination of events. First and foremost, I thought he had bad misses in the strike zone with his fastball. Um, you know, if you looked at the velocity, very close to his career norms or recent year norms. If you look at the movement, close to career norms. I just think he made mistakes with location. He had real trouble against lefties. And one of the things that he didn't do was get the ball in successfully on lefties. So I think if you were a left-handed batter, you could kind of look out over the plate and, and the fastballs were being thrown down the middle or, or out over the plate. He made a concerted effort yesterday, Jeff, to get the two-seam fastball in on the lefties. And he got one called strike three with it. And then I think maybe another very awkward swing or a, or a swinging strike three. Um, you know, he can start that. They call it the front hip two-seamer. You started, if you're a righty, you started kind of figuratively at the hip of a left-handed batter and it runs back over the inside corner. It's a hard pitch because, and I've talked to a lot of pitchers about it. If you miss in, you might hit them. And if you miss out, it's back over the middle of the plate. So your location has to be very precise with it. It's a pitch that Greg Maddox threw a billion times and better than anybody else. But Greg Maddox is a unicorn, right? And, and uh, you know, he wasn't throwing 95. He was more interested in location and and, uh, and other things than velocity. But uh, I think Barrios tried to do that and had some success with it yesterday. It also, and, and you know, I know you, you've talked about it. Let's say he made 32 starts last year. You know, like 23 of them were really good. It's just the nine that were bad were really bad. And, and uh, once the bleeding started, he couldn't stop the bleeding. A one or two run inning turned to a four into a four or five run inning. So I think it was kind of a combination of a couple of things. But listen, the guy's a pro. He's a hard worker. He's never missed a start in his major league career. Like think of the seven years, never, never missed a start. He's a prideful person. And I, I don't know if he's going to have a 320 ERA, but even if you split the difference between what he was and then what he did last year, that's still a capable fourth starter in a big league rotation. Yeah, it, uh, it absolutely is. And, and uh, Brios has been a, a topic of conversation for Mr. Bark and myself. He's convinced that I'm his last, I'm his last fan on the planet. But uh, I, I mean, I'm just <laughs> with you. I, I, I look at the guy's numbers. I look at his durability and the fact and this is what really puzzles me, Dan. He's such a good athlete. I mean, people yes. are going to roll there. But, but no, he is a good athlete. He is an yes. elite athlete in addition to a pitcher. And I, just, I guess I just kind of assume that those guys generally figure it out, right? It's funny. I, I'll, and, you know, we don't think of pitchers in athletic terms the same way as we do position players. But I agree with you. Two of the best athletes on this team are Jose Barrios and Yusei Kikuchi. Now, mm-hmm. that 
in and of itself doesn't make them great pitchers. You got to execute pitches to be uh, a good pitcher. But but I'm with you. I am a believer in Barrios. Another thing I've said about him, and maybe people will roll their eyes about this, but it, you know, if you ask uh, analytics people, they'll talk about uh, sequencing, and I don't mean pitch sequencing. Like if you go, if you give up a home run and then say single walk single, you've given up two runs. Mm-hmm. If you go, if you go single walk single home run, you've given up four runs. Right. Now part of that is on you. You got to figure out a way to keep the ball in the ballpark when the men are on base. But there is a little bit of just the order that things happen can differentiate how many runs you give up. Again, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not giving him, a, I'm not giving him a pass. He didn't have a good year. He knows he didn't have a good year, but. I think there are some objective reasons to believe he will have a better year, whether he'll be great again or a number two again or whatever you want to say. I I don't know, but I'm with you. I I believe in the work ethic. I believe in the uh, durability and and availability. Um, And and I believe that, uh, you know, the the WBC wasn't ideal for him, obviously, not, not that it didn't go well and he only pitched once or whatever, but, you know, he was away from Pete Walker for three weeks and, and, they didn't, they didn't quite get him built up as much as they wanted to. One of the good things is when he pitched against Venezuela, he only threw 38 pitches. He got knocked out of the game in the second inning. But he went down to the bullpen and threw 30 more that night. So he was, whether that was under orders from the Blue Jays from afar, just an understanding he had with the Dominican team. Uh, I'm sorry, with the Puerto Rican team. But he, So he threw 68 that night. He threw 77 yesterday. Hopefully he gets up, you know, 85 to 90 in his next start before he leaves here. And then he'll have his first start in Kansas City, uh, I would imagine. But um, uh, I I think he's going to have a better year. And I think Kikuchi is going to have a better year. Whether that means they're good is another story. But even if each of them is just, you know, a little bit better than they were, that that helps them at the back end of the rotation. Dan, you know that every time... Spring training rolls around. Two things are said. At the start of the year, everybody says, or at the start of the spring, everybody says they're in the best shape they've ever been in. And halfway through camp, everybody says, my God, what a great camp. Uh, Kevin Gossman, a couple of days ago, reading an article, uh, a quote from Kevin Gossman, the attention to detail this camp has been tenfold compared to last year. It's a bit of a slam at the way things were done last year. Have have you noticed or have, have people told you that there is a marked, you know, a marked difference to, to spring training this year compared to last year. Everybody has told me, and, okay. I, and I'm not I'm not paying lip service to it or making it up. Uh, it, now we don't see all the drills. Yeah, you, you know, you know, you know the layout of the PDC, um, and there are certain areas the media can go, and certain and, and certain areas the media can't. So I don't see all the PFP drills or things like that. But um, I didn't get down here till about 10 days ago. So like you, I'm reading articles. If you do like a search for attention to detail, focus, or the little things, they're in every single article that, mm-hmm. that you read. And the first thing I wanted to do when I get down here is to go up to people I trust and say, okay, I'm not going to quote you on this, but is all of this true? Is it as different as it used to be? And every single guy has said yes. Every single guy. So... It does feel, you know, I, I mean, I trust the guys that I trust, and those are the guys that I asked, and, and they felt that way. You know, a, a few things. Um, obviously, there are some changes. And, you know, a year ago, and, and I'm not saying this is a reason for a change, but John Schneider wasn't the manager a year ago mm-hmm. at this time. So this is his first full year as a manager, and he has a full spring training. Let's not forget they were coming off the lockout 
last year, and, and I'm sure for all 30 teams that made it a little bit more difficult. There have also been some changes in, in the players, and when you bring in guys like Dalton Varshow and Kevin Kiermeyer, you're bringing in guys who are wired to play, to do every drill like it's the seventh game of the World Series. I talked to Mark Budzinski about the outfield drills, and, and he said watching Varshow and Kiermeyer go through their business is – it's like Luis Rivera would say about watching Matt Chapman go through his drills on the infield. Like they now have more guys who take the game uh, very seriously and play it um, uh, a certain way. And, and it's noticeable. And I, I think it's a good thing. I, I think it's a necessary thing for this team. You know, the team has been good and competitive and a ton of fun the last couple of years, but I think there's a different vibe. I, I think without question, uh, not, I, I never like to say World Series or bust because that you, you set yourself up for uh, for you know all that stuff doing that. But there's no question the sting of the way last year ended, the personnel changes. You know Don Mattingly coming in. We haven't mentioned him yet. You, you know you bring in a nine-time Gold Glover, an MVP, a batting champ, uh, a guy who I think would be in the Hall of Fame if his back issue had not ended his career early. You know there's. Yes, there is more attention to detail. Yes, there is more seriousness. Yes, there is more uh, the little things. Like Jordan Romano says it in every interview that he does, too. And it's, um, you know, it's a full year of Whit Merrifield, the way that he runs the bases. He is a great base runner. You know, a full year of Whit Merrifield running the bases and guys learning from him. So, um, yeah, I think it's true. And you're right. Every All 30 teams are saying this are feeling optimistic and this is going to be great. And half of them are going to be wrong. And, and who knows how the season will go for the blue Jays. But to to answer your question, does it feel different? Yes, it does. What are the question marks surrounding this team right now in terms of roster composition? You know, it seems as if it's going to be Lopez and or Lucas and maybe Capra for the 26th, uh, 26th spot. You know, my friend, Mr. Barker's convinced there's no openings in the bullpen. I mean, you hear people say that maybe Jay Jackson's in the, I don't know if Jay Jackson's a guy, but some of these guys, there might be somebody in the fringe who can sneak in. Of course, Nate Pearson, there's still, I mean, the sort of the, I don't know what you'd call him, the prodigal son or whatever, but Nate, Nate Pearson is always going to be in the discussion in, in some capacity. What do you see as the openings or, or the quote-unquote battles right now? So the uh, – well, let me start before the last two spots on the roster I want to talk about. Uh, you know, second base is interesting because mm-hmm. they got three guys. They got three guys, and, and uh, they'll all play other places, but uh, there are only so many at-bats to go around. I don't know who the opening day second baseman is going to be. Okay. Uh, I, I think it'll be Whit Merrifield, but I, it could be Cabin Bishio. Cabin Bishio's had a great camp. A really, really good camp. So um, second base is interesting to me. Like, I believe Merrifield will play left field or, or somewhere in the outfield against lefties. Mm-hmm. Espinal comes in at second base. You know, Espinal for sure, I believe, is at second base against lefties. Against righties, I believe it's probably either Merrifield or Biggio. Um, and maybe there's an opportunity if Biggio's not playing a little right field, a little first base, you know. Uh, I could see all three of those guys, Espinal, Biggio, Merrifield, getting between 350 and 450 at-bats. And that's okay because you're putting them in situations where analytically, mathematically, whatever you want to call it, they're more likely to succeed. You're going to give them good matchups. So second base is interesting to me, and I think it, you know, it, it, it trickles into other aspects of the team as well. They're, I think we know what they are everywhere else. They're pretty well right. said everywhere else. Uh, last position player, 
Um, it was interesting because I don't remember who asked the question of John Schneider yesterday, but the question was basically, is it down to Otto Lopez and Nathan Lucas? And he talked about both of them. And then it was Schneider who threw Vinnie Capper's name into the conversation. So that that's not something mm-hmm. we should disre- we, we shouldn't disregard that. Um, now, Lopez is just getting back from a groin situation that they found out about when he came back from the WBC. He played one inning yesterday, but he hasn't gotten in-game at-bats since he was with Canada. So I think they want to make sure he's okay. If he's okay, I think he's the front runner, and that's nothing against Nathan Lucas. I actually happen to be a big Nathan Lucas fan. I think he can play. Um, but he's a left-handed bat, and I think what they need is a right-handed bat or switch hitter because maybe Belt gets a day off, maybe Kiermaier gets a day off, maybe Varsho gets a day off against lefties. So what do you want against lefties? Probably a right-handed bat. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I think Lopez, if healthy, is the front runner, but I still think it's up in the air. Uh, and I do believe there's a spot open in the bullpen. Um, eight relievers. So let's see if we can do this. Romano. Swanson, yeah. Garcia, Simber, Bass, Richards, Mesa. Yeah. Those seven, in my mind, are locks. Um, I don't think Mitch White is going to be ready. Uh, he pitched yesterday in a minor league game. He and Chris Bassett pitched in a minor league game. Um, White went three innings, and I talked to White briefly, and I talked to Pete Walker a little more extensively this morning at the PDC, and they want to see how White feels and check him out over the next couple of days and then decide the next step. He could be ready, but in my mind, there's no downside in putting him on the IL and letting him make sure that he's ready. Like, don't rush. You know, you don't want to rush. It's a shoulder thing. So um, make sure he's healthy. Uh, If you want to build him up as a starter while he's on the IL, whatever you want to do with him. And then it could be Nate Pearson. It could be Zach Pop. I'm really interested. I'm really intrigued by Zach Pop. Not that I'm not by Pearson, obviously, but... Mm -hmm. um, the the Blue Jays feel Zach Pop is like really close to really unlocking it and figuring it out. And uh, I talked to Zach for a while today about some of the, the changes that he's making, and he's in a really good spot right now. Uh, Jay Jackson has opened up some eyes, no question about it. He's healthy. He's not on the 40-man roster, so that was something you'd have to figure out. Um, and you never know. What if another team DFAs a guy in the next week and the Blue Jays like him and say that's the guy? You know, so – you could try out that guy, but I, I, it sounds like I agree with you in that. I do feel there is a spot available of that, that, uh, in the bullpen, whether it's Pearson pop, Jackson white, somebody else. I don't know, but I, I think there's one spot up for grabs. Last question. We'll let you run because I'm sure the beach is calling. I'm sure you're, you're, you, you did not make the trip down to Fort Myers. I, hope. I did not, but I, I want you to know on an, on a quote off day yes. for the play by play guy, I went to the PDC I was the first one in today at That's 8 good. o'clock in the morning, had a great hour. It's so good. A little peek behind the curtain. Like, as you know, for a home game down at the Rogers Center, maybe 25 or 30 media, mm-hmm. similar number of players, obviously. But it's kind of tough to get some of them sometimes, you know. And But you walk into the clubhouse here at the PDC, it was – there were four or five media members. Arden was there. Ben Nicholson-Smith was there. Uh, Rosie DeMano was there. That might have been all of it. And there are 40 players sitting there. Yep. Like, it's it's like the fishing's never been better. Like, you can get any – and I had great talks with uh, with Anthony Bass and Zach Pop and, and uh, Mitch White and, and on and on. And it's, it's just great background information for us to use. So, I put in a good hour of work, and oh, now we're sitting – 
Yeah, and now we're sitting on Dunedin Beach, not Clearwater Beach. Now we're sitting on, I've got my uh, my wife and my four-year-old are with me, and we're kicking a soccer ball and building sandcastles. Much quieter, much quieter. Yes, and, and much I'm, quieter. I'm glad to see that you, uh, I, I, I caught you in the telecast the other day talking about the, the beach ball, and actually Shelly was watching it. <laughs> Shelly said, are you thinking the same thing I'm thinking? I said, yeah, soccer ball. And as soon as we thought it, yep. you mentioned, well, we went and got a soccer ball. Yeah, that, that is a, <laughs> that, that's a common mistake. The, the beach ball doesn't yes. work on the beach with a kid. It's a soccer no. ball. Yeah, beach ball is a misnomer. It's really, it really should be called a swept away in the golf ball is exactly. what it is. But, but the soccer ball is doing wonders. No more tears on the beach. And it's a scam, you know. The beach ball thing is a scam because they know Absolutely. if you buy one, it's going to get lost. You're going to have to buy it. They're like balloons. Uh, Absolutely. Danny, we're going to let you run. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thanks so much for doing this. We'll look forward to chatting to you and uh, again and seeing you when you're back here. Thanks, my friend. All right. Sounds good, Jeff. Thanks. Be well. Dan Shulman, the voice of the Blue Jays. And... Uh, Really appreciate him joining. Off days are really rare for these guys. It's interesting hearing Dan say that because it was, you know, back in the day when teams had these long road trips. You know, if you were a writer, you you were kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. If if you didn't go on the trip, something's going to happen. Somebody gets hurt. I didn't make a trip to Fort Lauderdale covering the Blue Jays when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hurt himself. Just a stupid thing. And, of course, the thing is back then – the games weren't all on TV. Some of them weren't on radio. There was no internet, believe it or not. There was none of that. So unless somebody called you and said, hey, Jeff, so-and-so tore their knee up, you were kind of screwed. So you had to balance off going down to watch the game or the possibility of having access to players with, with, with no other media around. It's just it's kind of interesting hearing Dan say that because it just reminded me of the way that uh, how much technology has changed. Uh, Kevin Barker will be back tomorrow. He is not here to uh, handle the back leg line bit today, but I think I can do it, fellas and Jen. So if you can, uh, let her go. Let's go to Travis in Saskatoon. I have a question about the schedule and opening weekend in particular. I know the Jays play Thursday and have an off day Friday in hopes that the league can avoid any early double headers. But with that being said, the Jays playing Thursday. Would the MLB look ahead to the weather Friday and Saturday and Sunday just to see, say, Friday supposed to be a nice day and Saturday might be ugly? Would the MLB ever consider moving the off day to the Saturday also to avoid a doubleheader early in the season? And if not, how come? Thank you. Thanks, Bye. Travis. Yeah, I can, uh, I can answer that. I mean, there is a, there's a regulation in the CBA regarding the number of consecutive games teams can play uh so it wouldn't simply be i mean you'd have to you'd have to check to make sure that you weren't coming into conflict with that particular uh that particular aspect of the cba and the other thing is no because we've already talked about this the teams are trying to set up their pitching for early in the regular season and right now you know, the Jays are dealing with the situation where they've got Manoa lined up to go, then they've got an off day, then they go to Gossman, and they're trying to decide, okay, do we stick with this, go with Manoa, or do we go with Gossman, give Manoa the extra rest? Well, you can't plan that, and then all of a sudden find out from Major League Baseball on Thursday morning that, guess what, dudes, we've decided you're playing Friday. You're not going to have the day off. So uh, that's that's a short answer. That's a short answer uh, for that. And um, it's always, you know, it's always been a... And maybe we'll get around to this once the schedule becomes more fully balanced. But I've often wondered why you don't 
play more games in warm weather cities during the first two weeks of the season. Right. Have the Angels and Dodgers at home at the same time. Have Texas and Houston. Like use the, the Florida cities or convert, or if you want, use the ballparks that are covered to play your first game. And I know that baseball kind of sort of tries to take that into account. But at the end of the day, as I said, you're dealing with, uh, you know, consecutive days played. Uh, you're dealing with, uh, I mean, it's just that the, there's all sorts of things that, that, that go into it. But it's something I have wondered. Why do you play the first series of the year in a, in a city where it might rain? I, I don't get it. But uh, it is the way Major League Baseball has done things. But the answer to your question, Travis, in particular, is teams need to know, teams need to have certainty when it comes to setting up their rotation. And also, there is that, that rule out there. And I can't remember how many days in a row it is that a team, a team can't play a certain number of days in a row unless, you know, if there's something happens players can get together and vote on whether or not they will they will uh, they will go against the, the CBA although it, it it rarely happens uh that is it for us today thanks to Lance Jen and Mark for uh getting me through this remembering how to do this solo Mr. Barker's back tomorrow 11 to noon eastern on Sportsnet 590 to fan 360 if you're listening to us via podcast leave us a nice five-star review it means very very much to Kevin Barker Have yourself a great day.